I love to cold call. Wow. Yes. When people think that I'm, I'm bad for doing that. Like, what, why am I doing that? Why don't I work my sphere? Well, to be honest, uh, I, we moved here in 2010. And yeah. so I didn't have a sphere. Right. I've been on a plane for the two years prior, you know, working uh, in other places in other parts of the country. So I literally had very few people here that I actually knew. You are listening to The Real Estate Sessions with Bill Rissa of Fidelity National Title, Tampa District. The Real Estate Sessions podcast is part of the Industry Syndicate Media Network. For additional real estate podcasts, check out industrysyndicate.com. Now, your host, Bill Rissa. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 174 of the Real Estate Sessions. Thank you so much for joining us. As I always say, thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for for spreading the word. It's how we continue to grow. Uh, And I get to continue doing what I love to do, interviewing people and finding out all about them. And and today I'm so happy I get to interview somebody in St. Petersburg. I'm actually sitting in her office and we're going to talk about that. Uh, Today I'll be interviewing Lisa Erickson, who's the managing broker and owner of the brand new Angle and Volkers St. Petersburg. I have a soft spot in my heart for E&V, going back to those Scottsdale days with uh, Sandra Wilkin and, and Bob Nathan. We'll talk about that with Lisa. But Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Bill. Welcome to England, Volker, St. Pete. Yeah, it's beautiful here. Now, I know, let's start with that right away. We're in, we'll call it a temporary home because you're on Central, uh, right mm-hmm. off between 4th and 5th, but you're going to be kind of down by Beach Drive when you're open. Is that correct? Yes, that's yeah. right. So, yeah, we're in a temporary spot, and I think potentially we're going to keep this spot as a what we're going to call a marketplace center. Uh, it'll allow to have some of our back house operations, and then we'll use the space down on beach for really entertaining clients and more of a social space. Yeah, it'll be a showroom. It'll be nice, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm excited about that. Love that. So let's let's start with you. I, I always start at the beginning with my guests, and I want, the first thing I'm going to ask you is, looking at your history online, I, I, I believe you grew up in Indiana. Am I, am I, am I right there? Yes. Uh, I don't always like to claim that, actually. Uh, no, no, how come? <laughs> well, I grew up in a very, very small town. And that town really, I didn't fit in, to be very candid with you. I was amongst a very country, rural sort of environment. And I'm not very country if you were to see me right now. I don't really like the country at all. And so I could not wait to actually get out of there. Yeah. Did so, you realize this at a young age? I mean, were you... A uh, very young age. Really? Yeah. I, I can remember one of the Christmases. I was probably seven or eight, and I swore, and I mean, I mean, I swore up and down that my dad was going to give me a trip to China by myself, that I could take a train through China and tour China like when I was eight. I swore it was going to happen. Wow. So... You might be the wrong person to ask about, give me some of the biggest misconceptions about Indiana, because mm-hmm. you might be telling me that they're not misconceptions. Am I? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm a truth teller. I got no, so, to say. So, so tell, me, tell me the one thing when people, when you tell people you're from Indiana, what's the one thing they get wrong? They, they think that I probably think a little bit uh, small. And I, and, I, and I mean that with all due respect. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of people that are in Indiana that think very big. And, but, but, you know, there's this whole idea and mindset that's portrayed in movies and that it's a small town. Uh, John Cougar Mellencamp sings about it. He sings about pink houses. And he's the classic Indiana sort of picture of, of what you think about. And that's really not how I view the world. 
Um, and, and so that probably people are surprised by that. Yeah. There, there's a lot of rural areas, right? I mean, Indianapolis mm-hmm. is a big city, right? Sure. And there's a lot going on there, but the rest, the majority of the state, I mean, I think of Larry Bird, right? French Lake, mm-hmm. Indiana, or the yep. movie Hoosiers. You're right. So I was in the, Hoosiers as a matter of fact. Well, I got to hear that story. Talk about it. So all these classic Indiana things, you know, I, I, I can remember going, we, it was a school uh, field trip actually when Hoosiers would be, was being filmed and it was being filmed in a town that was near ours. And so we were selected as part of the, the school uh, environment that was part of the basketball games that sure. you saw. So I was in, I was an extra and uh, spent a day there filming. Can you pick yourself out in the movie? Yes. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So we might need a screenshot or something? <laughs> yeah, very quickly. Okay. It's, it's a real quick snapshot. Oh, we just need it for a split second. We can snag that's it. I it. love that. That's yeah. great. You, you did go to school at IU, though. You went to Indiana University, big school in, in, in Indiana, along with ISU. Um, and you were there. I love this part of it. I'm, I've got a sports side to me. And you were there during the Bobby Knight years. Mm-hmm. So I've got to ask you, first of all, are you a basketball fan? I mean, uh, you, you must be a fan of Bobby Knight's because he did amazing things at mm-hmm. the school. Yeah. Not everyone's in you know, agreement with his style, but he was yeah. an amazing coach. He is an amazing coach. You know, maybe not such a, a great person, but an amazing coach. And yes, I was there. So during that era, you know, it was big time basketball. And yeah. that's about the extent of my, you know, knowledge about sports. Most people know that... If you're going to talk to me, I don't really know much about sports. Okay. I'm kind of known as the sports idiot of the world. <laughs> so, but basketball was a huge sport. Football, not so much, but absolutely. And, you know, my dad was a big uh, basketball coach for children um, at the time. And uh, we lived in Newcastle for a short stint, which is where, you know, Craig Alford and his brother are from. So my dad, ironically enough, actually did know Bobby Knight. And I've, I've seen some photos um, of him and Bobby Knight and some other, you know, players that were pictured. So that's kind of a weird connection to Indiana, but absolutely, you know, I, yeah. I, I saw him throw the chairs and all that good stuff like everyone else. <laughs> and I guess that kind of coaching had its time. That's great. Look, if, if, if that's all you have for sports is, is Indiana basketball, mm-hmm. you're way ahead of the game. That's pretty good. Yeah. Let's move then beyond Indiana. As you're, as, you're, as you're finishing your undergraduate degree at Indiana, what was the perfect job for Lisa? What did you want to do? <laughs> well, it, it goes back to the whole idea of thinking big. So when I was in college, I mean, I went to IU with the predictability of I was going for the business school. I was determined to get into the business school, which was very difficult to do. I accomplished it barely by the skin of my teeth. I remember petitioning because I was on the wait list. I didn't have the best of grades, but I wanted in there. And um, I ended up working my way into the school through a letter and some convincing and got in and, and had a great, great experience at IU. With that being said, my parents took me traveling a lot. And when I was about 12, they came to me and they said, you know, you can continue to have this normal Christmas like everyone else does, gifts, trees, you know, staying at home, or you can travel and we'll take you places. And of course, going back to the whole history of Indiana, I could not wait to get the heck out. So I said, absolutely, let's go places and, and see things. So during the course of my youth, basically we would travel a lot. And so through the course of that, I learned Spanish. And we would travel a lot to Mexico, and I made quite a few friends uh, in Mexico City because they would be at the beach towns. So the perfect job coming out of IU for me that I was determined to do was basically to be hired and be able to move to Mexico City. Wow. Mm -hmm. So how do you pursue that? Well, 
ironically enough, NAFTA was just coming into play at that time. And so, you know, I I pursued it and uh, looked for international companies that were trying to put U.S. employees into Mexico. And I I did pursue it pretty heavily at that time and probably still to this day. It's uh, not very female friendly, if you would say. If you look at me, I'm pretty blonde, blue eyed. And, you know, people really don't understand that I actually am fluent in Spanish when they first meet me and from whatever country you're from, and I start start to speak Spanish, and people get pretty surprised. And you can imagine when you're looking for a job in a foreign country, their resumes have photos on them. So I was immediately probably put to a back pile, or probably relegated to probably some other different role that probably wasn't behoove, uh, behooving of my education. But but anyway, that was the perfect job for me. So what, what do you end up doing then? My first job out of college was to move to Chicago, and I was the first female sales rep for a roof manufacturing fastener company. Nice. So fasteners for a roof. So I'm thinking of uh, different sorts of, it could be nails or tacks or clips and no. that sort of stuff, or am I yeah. way off? <laughs> uh, that's that's normal thing you would think of yeah. as a homeowner, right? No, actually it was commercial roof fastening systems. Okay commercial applications, very long, long fasteners, um, technology-driven, pretty large company I worked for, Illinois wow. Tool Works, who makes, makes Tapcons, which are securing you know, our shutters here yeah. for hurricanes, right? Same company. Okay. So different application. Are you aware of Lee Brown out of uh, North Carolina? Have you heard her name? Yeah. Yeah, she's Noting. a Remax agent up in there. And uh, mm-hmm. when I, she's one of the guests on the podcast. And she was one of the first female sales reps for a chainsaw company. There you go. And so it's very similar, right? And she's very driven like you are. So I think that's a, mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense. Now, let's, let's fast forward a little bit. In your career, you worked for some coaching and consulting companies as well. How did that, how did that happen? Back in that time, uh, when I was hired, I was recruited. It was... Right after the bust, the dot-com bust happened. And I, of course, went to work for a company that was promising fortunes with stock options and things when they did their, their IPO. Well, that never came to fruition. That company sort of went belly up. And I was out you know, looking for jobs and ended up being recruited by this company that is a pretty legendary company in the sales training field. And that company uh, was run by a gentleman who developed a bunch of behavioral models for selling. And I was very fortunate. I came in sort of at the time when he was selling the company, and I was able to mentor with him a little bit at the time before he left and do some client calls with him and really experience his mind because he's very brilliant. Um, So that's how that, that opportunity emerged. Why they chose me, I really don't know. I did have a long career there uh, with that company, and it changed hands several times for ownership. But but that's that was the the genesis there. That was in two thousand one. How long were you there? I left there in two thousand eight. A lot okay. of part of that. And so, when you say sales training, and, and we're talking about going into large firms, Fortune five hundred companies, mm-hmm. and and working with the sales team, management team of sales, and all these people to kind of um, optimize processes, mm-hmm. kind of really, kind of, um, well, obviously change uh, up the sales numbers, right? Sure. Yeah that that was the main focus for our organization. What we would focus on. So you know, in the news, you hear a lot from reports from a CEO uh, coming out and stating that, you know, our revenue goal for the coming year is X, Y, Z. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
the organization that I was working for at the time would really come in on the backside of that to help them execute that plan. So if the plan was growth or if it was growing their wallet share or their market share or migrating up a value chain, that's what we really focused on um, to help them execute on those things. Right. I have to ask you this question because on a, on a very small scale, I help you know realtors maybe be smarter with technology and you mm-hmm. give them advice or, or maybe consult with them and you know what you're telling them has a history of success. You've seen other people do these things and it works. Mm -hmm. How frustrating was it for you to Mm -hmm. go in and talk to a company and then not have the company follow through? Because that had to have happened. Yes, it did. The flavor of the day or the flavor of the year was this methodology that we were perhaps implementing. And like anything else, it, it really comes down to the implementation plan around, around it, what's going to be the behavior that continues to pull you back into the things that you know, like, and trust that you've done historically that have maybe worked for you, maybe not so much in current day, but, you know, there's always those old behaviors pulling you back. Yeah, it's frustrating. It's, yeah. it, you know, it's behavior change is not easy. So now we get to real estate and Lisa. Mm-hmm. And so this is interesting because you really have no excuse for not creating a sales process and a workflow and implementation, you know, guidelines and training staff. This is right up your alley. Mm-hmm. So that's got to be, uh, that had to be a, a big piece of why you, you know, entered the real estate space because you probably felt like you could succeed. You knew what you had to do to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, you started with Keller Williams. So t- first of all, let's talk about what got you into real estate. And then second, how did it go in those, let's say that first year, two years, you know, with, that background of yours, you're coming in a whole different mindset than a lot of other people. I, I guess so, yes. I learned that. I didn't really know that at the time. What got me into real estate was really having children in a very late stage of life. Hmm. So I used to be on a lot of planes. I would be traveling, I don't even know the weeks, You know, probably 40 weeks out of the year. And I ended up marrying uh, my business partner and my husband, my, my husband first, and he became my business partner. But you know, at that time, we had moved to St. Pete, and I was really tired of being on planes. And I really wanted to focus on building a business where I could be at home at night, be involved in the community that we lived in on a mm-hmm. daily basis, know more people than just who I might know in the airport, for example, Mm -hmm. and uh, be at home every night because I had these great kids, right? So I had the first baby when I was 40 and um, had another one one, a couple years later when I was 42. So I'm not a young mom, and I really wanted to be able to be at home and and take care of these kids. And so I decided that real estate was going to be the best vehicle for me because I had a whole history of investing very early on in my my youth. I bought my first property when I was 21. And I've done many flips uh, along the way in my 20s um, and into my 30s. And I just had a whole family history of, of working in real estate, whether in, in different capacities. I worked in an appraisal department when I was in college okay. doing construction to perm loans. I, I mean, I, you name it, I've probably done it along the way. And I had that whole family background sort of pulling me in that direction. And okay. that was an immediate way that I could make an impact. I knew I could hit the ground running because I'd already been in that business. you know. From, and you weren't afraid of being a startup, which is really what you are when you're a brand new realtor. That No, because I, I really had been a startup as a consultant because right. I had been consulting with another firm that we were talking about earlier. And then I had gone out in 2000, 
nine on my own um, and, and was a franchise partner for another organization that did consulting as well. So I had really started a company in 2009. And then in 2012, you know, I evolved that into a different layer of right. consulting, which is in the real estate side. Right. That's so, great. so no, I really wasn't uh, scary for so me. So 2012, that's when you got started. Yes. You start with Keller Williams. Yes. So let's talk about that time frame. I know a lot of people gravitate towards Keller Williams when they're new because mm-hmm. the, the training is any, anything you need is there, right? They're very good at training agents on how to um, follow their programs to talk about that. Right. Y- yes. Uh, it was an easy transition for, for me personally to make because at the time, you know, I, I knew I had a license. I was getting a license and I was actually sitting inside Keller Williams um, before I actually had a license. I was still doing a little bit of consulting and I was getting ready to go into the real estate side. And so I really wanted a place where I could get the tools that I felt like I needed to learn how to do the business. Mm -hmm. And that was a good place for me to start. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're there maybe a year and a half. Mm -hmm. Is that close? And then you end up moving to Remax, right? Remax Metro, which is right here in downtown St. Petersburg. Probably the office you worked out of. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, we, um, we grew very, very quickly. Um, and we decided that we had gotten to the point where we really needed some more, um, support and, and a, just a different way of doing business than we could achieve at, at Keller Williams where we were. So we decided to make a switch. Uh, we went into the the Remax office here and had a really long stint there. You know, we were there three and a half, four years. Okay. We should coming up in four years and really enjoyed our time there and, and grew even, even greater uh, than where we had been at Keller Williams. So it was an overall, it was a very good decision for us. And really you are talking about rapid growth. Mm-hmm. Compared to the norm in the world of real estate, um, what was the what was kind of the basis of most of your business? Are you a, a hardcore lead generation person? Mm-hmm. Are you referral based? Is there some sphere because you you lived here? What what would you say your, would be your your sweet spot? I'm one of those really sick people. People <laughs> that you know, I've heard other coaches say I, I, I should slap I should slap anybody who's going to say this. So I love to cold call. Wow. Yes, and people think that I'm I'm bad for doing that? Like, what? why am I doing that? Why don't I work my sphere? Well, to be honest, uh, I, we moved here in 2010. And okay. so I didn't have a sphere. Right. I've been on a plane for the two years prior, you know, working uh, in other places in other parts of the country. So I literally had very few people here that I actually knew. So I had to start from scratch. And, you know, my whole career from consulting was built on cold calling and creating letters and compelling value propositions to make people stop and say, no, wait a second. What she's saying is something different than I've ever heard. Uh, I had many CEOs in the course of my consulting career return my phone call or call me after they got a letter that I FedEx to them because I would pull out their, their, I'd pull out their exact verbiage and I'd quote them from their, from their calls that they were doing with analysts. And I'd say, if you want to achieve that, here's your quote. I'd like to talk to you about this. And here's, here are the, the sort of like game-changing switches I think that we could consider um, in your case. And so right. that's, that was my intent is to go to the market with a different way of talking about real estate than most anybody is going to probably do. I mean, there's, there's of course, people that are going to talk um, in more strategic ways about it. But that was really where I naturally, you know, kind of head yeah, you love cold calling. That's uh, I don't I don't get that very often on the show. I know, I know. <laughs> but but there's um, uh, success story after success story after success story from people who are very good at talking to people they don't know, finding out 
a way to help them, right? Which is really what you do. You're mm-hmm. looking for a way to help them solve a problem mm-hmm. uh, and then and put them into a sphere, into a, that database of people that know, like, and trust, and you move forward from there, right? It's, yes. It's beautiful. Yeah. And so, so let's... We get to 2018 now. Some I don't know exactly when you started the process with Angle and Volkers, but you opened in November, just mm-hmm. just recently. Correct. We're recording this in December, so we're talking just a little over a month that um, you've had the St. Uh, Pete operation. I'm sorry, let me get this exactly right. The St. Petersburg shop opened in November of 2018 for Angle and Volkers. Talk mm-hmm. about that process. What drew you to that brand? And um, mm-hmm. let's hear that story. Yes. So November we started, you know, it was a pretty long process for us to gather our thoughts, make sure that we had the processes dialed in, that we could really take the business in a different direction because owning a brokerage is radically different than running a team. And, uh, we, you know, we put a lot of thought into that and how's that going to work for us and what do we need? What do we need to do? What money do we need to raise? What do we need to make sure that is sort of in place? Uh, we started that process probably, I'd say the spring, the spring of 2018, right? And from there, you know, we transitioned here. And so far, it's all coming together. It's it's just uh, an evolution of of creating a path and, and marching down that path of execution. So, uh, so far, everything's everything's working as planned. Good. And uh, we're excited. So, you know, tell me a little bit about what Engel and Volker stands for. I mean, they're they're definitely... Mm-hmm. You're heavily vetted before you, you become a franchisee, right? I mean, there's yeah. there's no way anyone could just open up a shop. No, it's really about cultural fit. So, okay. you know, the question about how do we kind of look at the brand and what brought us to this point of deciding with Engel and Volkers to, to pursue a shop. It didn't take long for us to find that fit. It's not as if we were looking for a, for a new venture. We okay. really weren't. Right. Engel and Volkers came to us and, and we started talking with them and we had many conversations with them. And what became apparent to us is really kind of two things. One is their brand. So the brand is phenomenal. It is, if you look around where you're sitting right now, it looks different. Mm-hmm. It feels different. The quality of what you're just looking and touching if you look at those boxes that are sitting over there or the materials that we present to a client they're phenomenal i couldn't replicate that i'm a marketing person and a salesperson at heart but for me to create the materials from scratch as they have at that quality level i mean it would take me years first of all and it would take me a ton of money and it probably wouldn't be as good so the branding itself and the way that they connect themselves globally, I think, is so, so key. We're looking at a market here where we've got tons of international visitors, tons of international folks that are coming in and buying property. And that was key for us because we really didn't feel like at, at, at Remax we did have global connectivity. It just didn't really exist. It was talked about, but it really wasn't wasn't there. Kind of not, definitely not the same as England Volkers. I mean, these shops are all around Europe, Asia, they're everywhere, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. They're everywhere. And the the cool part about Engel and Volkers that we found is, you know, that you have that global connectivity and it's not just um I you know, if you're if you're standing uh in front of me and and, and I'm talking to you, if you leave this spot and you go over to any other place where there's another Engel and Volkers, you're going to f- experience the same thing. Right. You, and and that's not only from what you're looking uh, at, you know, in terms of the visibility for 
the you know branding logos and the display cases and the expose cases that you see, but it's really about the culture. It's very fascinating because when we started looking at Engel and Volkers, you know, people talk about a lot of things, right? They're trying to put a pitch on you, you know, we're this and we're this. And you kind of just nod your head and you say, okay, yeah. And, and then you kind of wait for those things to appear. Sometimes they do and sometimes right. they don't in right. life. I'm just talking in general, yeah, right? Yeah, in general, right. Well, in, in the case of Engel and Volkers, I kept waiting for the, like the, the pen to drop, you know, like I'm, I'm waiting for like the peak of like, this isn't the reality, right. but I never got that. And that is the phenomenal part about England Volkers. And as I continue to get deeper and deeper into the brand, and I meet more and more people from all over the world, I cannot believe at how similar culturally we all are. I can just sit down and talk with them, and I can go have a drink with them. And it's, it's weird. It's like we've been friends or like we've known each other for some time. It's, it's, it's really interesting. I've never had that experience really ever, except for the consulting firm that I worked for. So it's, it's like I've almost come home in, in a sense uh, to a place that is embodying the same ethos as, as we do right? and also having the same level of professionalism as we do. You dealt with a lot of CEOs and CMOs and, and you know, top-level C-suite people when you were consulting. And mm-hmm. uh, I, my, my guess is you're going to be talking to those same sorts of people mm-hmm. when you're here, especially where we're at in St. Petersburg with, um, you know, wonderful properties just in seconds away <laughs> from where we're sitting with this conversation. Yeah, yeah. I, I would imagine so. And, you know, the brand, I think, speaks to a level of discerning clientele. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I encourage those conversations, you know, those, those sort of like C-suite conversations I'm very akin to. I mean, that's, pretty much my whole career. And, you know, I look at property as, as a, usually a home that people live in. And I also look at it, at it as an investment and it's, it's an asset that deserves respect. And it's an asset that someone is going to probably use as leverage to get to another spot. Hmm. And, and I, I really love that aspect of, of what we're empowered to do, not only here in St. Pete, but in other markets, you know, that we can partner with other folks for Engel and Volkers, uh, you know, domestically and globally. You touched on this a little bit earlier. The building of a brokerage is a lot different than building a team. Hmm. So let's talk about that for a little bit. Let's talk about the process of finding, you know, the right types of agents that are going to not only fit the culture here, but they have to kind of fit the way you work and the way you envision growing this operation. I mean, this is your company. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's call it that, right? This is your store, your shop. So how's that working for you? And I mean, what are you looking for? What Have there been some challenges? Mm-hmm. You know, we haven't had any challenges, knock on the wood. You know, we're yeah. early on. Our first foot forward on hiring and looking for folks that are interested in making a change or coming into a different um, brokerage mm-hmm. is culture. So we lead with culture. We're, we've always led with that in the team. We are a very collegial uh, group of people. My husband and myself are very open people uh, to people that are in our sphere and in our world. And I think that's something that's missing inside of a brokerage where you've got people that are competing with one another. It doesn't need to be like that. You know, there's plenty uh, of things uh, that we can all share and share knowledge. And I live in a world of abundance. I don't need to hoard my entire set of knowledge. It's inside my head. I will dispose of it and open it up and, and let other people decide whether it's good for them, bad for them. But I'm not, I'm not here basically to 
say, I've got this all figured out either. I'm open to learning always. I'm open to sharing always. And I'm looking for people that want to come into an environment where they, they want to do the same thing and they want to grow. I'm really good, I have to say, and I'll toot my own horn at this, is one thing I'm very, very good at, and I've proven that through what we've done, is the growth pattern, right? So if you're stuck at a spot in in the business and real estate and you're trying to get better or grow to a different level, we can help because I put that lens on and I say, okay, now what are you trying to achieve? Because I start with your goal. What is that you're trying to achieve? And it's it's not necessarily a number, but what is it that you're trying to get differently that you, that you may not have been able to do in the past. And I, and I, and I say this from experience from where I've been is that when you're sitting in another brokerage, that's not this one, cause I know how this one's operating. Mm-hmm. It's sort of just ground up regurgitation, right? You've got your models, you know, KW's got their model that they're grinding through in terms of a business planning process. Uh, you've got another model at Remax, but it's just numbers. Really, when you look at it, they're not going behind the number to help people execute differently. Hmm. And that was a real big beef with me because, you know, if you, you were asking earlier about well, how was it disappointing when you would try to implement these things and it didn't, it didn't go well. Well, part of it was because they just thought through the top portion of it to say, well, let's implement some new training. Right. All right. Let's, let's set a new goal. Well, if you're going to really try to transform and do something different than what you've done in the past, it's not just about that top level. That's like the first layer of maybe 10 that you need to go through. And so we're focused on helping people think through not only that first couple of layers, but what's that, what's that 10 layer process look like? And let's support you to get there. It's, it's much more robust. And that's my background. And that's what I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to, to, to do because I could not do that before. So I'm kind of bringing the, the consulting world that I had before and I'm bringing the brokerage side to it. And I'm, that's super exciting to me. Yeah. So anybody who's looking for growth and a new way of doing things that is more open and sharing and fun, because we like to have fun, that's, that's what we're about. Lisa, I've had you here well over the 30 minutes we've had. I've asked you your time. So I'm going to ask you the same question I've asked every guest since episode one. And that is, what piece of advice would you give a new agent just getting started in the business? That's a hard one because it's one piece. It, I'll let you go too. But, okay. You know. <laughs> <laughs> the phone is your friend. You better dial that phone. And we always have a saying, we just just do the damn thing. And that's what you got to do. So that's number one. Uh, the second piece is probably plan for more expenses than you could ever imagine. Uh, this business is not an easy one to scale. Anybody can get a license and you can kind of do a couple deals. You can get it put together if maybe you have a family or a friend. But once you peel through that, guess what? You're going to spend some money. And you're going to have to spend quite a bit of money for quite some time to make sure that you have a sustainable business model. And I think a lot of people underestimate that because it's so inexpensive as a, as a barrier to mm-hmm. get into the business, but to really sustain it and create a career and, a, and an income stream from it, that takes some staying power. So yeah. plan, plan for more expenses than you probably thought in a longer time to do that. Lisa, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? 
Uh, best best way to reach out to me is my cell phone. I use the phone a lot, as we've talked about, yeah. and I, I do answer my phone. So people can always reach out to me. Uh, my personal cell phone, 239-789-7106. Lisa, thank you so much for your time today. This is going to be very fun to watch develop. Um, the space, it's on my regular nightly walk where you're going to be down on, uh, is it first? Second. Second and Beach. Second Avenue. Yeah, yeah, Second Mm -hmm. Avenue Beach. And so that's going to be really fun to watch grow. And really, your passion just shines through. So uh, this will be nothing but successful. So thanks again for your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me.